Hello, and thank you so much for tuning in to the She Can Ball podcast. I'm your host, Mahi Jariwala. Our guest today is Coach Patty Medina. She's a former college coach and not one, but two-time NCCAA West Region Coach of the Year and founder of a nonprofit, The Hooper Mentality. How are you, Coach Patty? I'm doing well, Mahi. Thank you for having me. No problem. So let's talk about your journey. So where did you grow up and how did you get into basketball? Uh, well, I was actually born in Mexico. Um, I was there until I was about eight years old. And then we came to the United States. Um, you know, my father came here illegally. So he was, I was I was actually not a U.S. citizen until I was 17 years old. So, oh, wow. yeah. So my parents came here illegally. We were here on a worker's permit. My dad was working um, in the fields and then ended up working construction and was able to get a worker's visa and brought us over. And so we came over when I was about eight, nine years old. Um, for a while, we lived in like my uncle's living room and we weren't able to get, you know, any rent, any apartment because obviously my parents were illegal. So we don't have social security. We don't have credit, any of that. And so we were bouncing around from relative to relative. And um, finally, my dad you know, was able to get a place down in South San Diego. And so that's where I grew up. So I grew up in South San Diego. I went to um, in Pro Beach Elementary School. It was an arts program. So I was a, a fine arts major. Wow. Yeah. So I was fine arts major. Um, I, I love drawing and painting. And so I, that was my, my thing. And I got invited to like uh, apply for a magnet program. I got nominated to join a magnet program. And so I went to Imperial Beach Elementary School, which was in SCPA, so School of, Co- of Creative and Performing Arts. Mm-hmm. And um, I was a fine arts major in, in elementary school and then all the way through high school. And so. Um, okay. And as far as you studying the arts at school, was that something you had always loved or was that something you picked up when you moved to the United States? Yeah, it was. I mean, I've always loved to draw. And um, I went to the school that was by my parents' house at the time. And I was there for first, second, and third. And in third grade, my third grade teacher was like, you know, you you have a talent. Like, you should be nominated to go to this school. Um, you know, you're very good at drawing. And so she nominated me to go to the SCPA school. So it was something that I've always liked to do. I've always liked to draw. And it was just, you know, a, a teacher saw potential in me and, and nominated me to, to go to that school, which I'm glad she did because I think I would have taken a completely different route in life had I not gone to that school so it was it was definitely a blessing but I yeah to this day I love I love you know I created my own logo for the Hooper mentality and wow that's a really cool logo thank you and then I with and it's crazy because in retrospect you realize like every skill you're learning and this is something good for you you know as 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 a younger a younger future entrepreneur is that Every skill you're learning now, whether it makes sense or not, um, at one point it's going to be useful. And so for me, like my first job was as a telemarketer. So I was a telemarketer (laughs) and, you know, and I had to learn conversation. Like I had to learn how to draw a conversation. I had to learn how to uh, entice, you know, and keep people's attention uh, via the phone. And, you know, this was back in, in 2002 Two thousand, yeah, two thousand and two, and so you know, I'm having to be a telemarketer, and I learned how to really have a, you know, a, a, a an uppity voice when you talk on the phone, and <laughs> yeah, you know, and so it's helped me with coaching because I'm able to, you know, convince players and motivate players, and so really everything that I've done from, you know, since I was born until this day, it's like okay, now it it's all making sense because it's all falling into place, and so. Um, yeah, so we came here, and I didn't start playing basketball until I was in sixth grade. I was introduced to it. I was out playing soccer, and uh, one of my friends, Vanessa, at the time was like, hey, like you should come and try out for the basketball team. And I didn't know what basketball was. And she was like, oh, it's just like soccer, but you can't use your hands. You, are you your feet. Like, you got to use your hands. She was like, you can't use your feet like soccer, but it's – and I, yeah, I feel like kids that play soccer, like, would like to play basketball because I feel like if you can do things with your feet, you can obviously do them with your hands. Yeah, and you learn a lot because with the soccer, you have to learn angles and passing. You know, you see the whole court, the whole field. 
Um, you're learning spacing and, and zone defenses and all that. And so, like, I had learned all that. I was, like, a super soccer fanatic. I mean, to this day, I love watching it on TV. Like, I, I'm I'm the type that cries, like, during soccer games because it's, like, emotional, you know. So, <laughs> um, but, yeah, it, and so I picked it up, and it was easy for me. You know, it was easy for me. Um, obviously, the conditioning is a lot more I, people think that soccer is a lot more conditioning, but in reality, for me, it was more basketball because in soccer, it's like it depends on the position that you play. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, whereas basketball, it's like all five run, <laughs> court, you know. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, so I picked up basketball in sixth grade. Um, didn't play it in middle school, just here and there for fun, little tournaments here and there for fun. And then in high school, that's when I decided, you know, I wanted to play basketball. But I also played field hockey, basketball, volleyball. Well, I played basketball, field hockey, volleyball, and then I did shot put and discus for track and field. Wow. Yeah, and my parents were the type that, like, whatever you want to try it, you know, do it. But whatever you start, you finish. And so, like, I played the saxophone in in seventh and eighth grade. Oh, okay. I did karate. Like, I did. <laughs> like, it was just anything that I wanted to try, they would let me as long as whatever I started, I'd finish. And so... Um, yeah, I, I mean, I had a great upbringing, you know, and I think it really resonates now with what I'm doing and how I'm doing it. And so, um, yeah, just coming to the U.S. and not knowing any English was, you know, tough. I can imagine. Yeah. And so it's just something that for me, like it made, it made me who I am. Definitely. So you talked about your parents supporting you and what you did. And so who are your role models growing up? Uh, for me, growing up. Uh, my biggest role model was definitely my dad, um, you know, because, again, he came he came to the United States with fourth grade education um, and started his own construction company that he has to this day. And so I remember when I was young, you know, he would be running his company and, and doing his projects and I would help him do all the invoices <laughs> and everything. And so... Wow. Um, he really embedded in me the entrepreneurial spirit, you know, where he was like, it's his business. Because I used to be like, Dad, who do you, do you have to check in? Like, do you have to punch in your time card? And he was like, no, like, I, I'm the owner of the company. And I'm like, really? And he's like, yeah, you're your own boss, you know. And so for me, like, being an eight, nine-year-old, seeing my dad be his own boss, you know, for me was, was very inspirational. And then not only that, with fourth grade education and minimal sp- English, Mm -hmm. he was able to pass the California state contractor's license. Wow. But we studied for that. And I remember we were studying and he just, you know, he he had to take it like three times, but he ended up passing it. And it was just one of those things where it's like, okay, now I see where I get my resiliency from, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, and I can tell that you bonded a lot with your dad during that time. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, to this day, he's 70 years old and he's still working, you know, and he's working construction. So that's great. You said that you started in sixth grade and you were just kind of playing tournaments, but when did you end up getting serious about basketball? Um, I honestly, I didn't really, it was never, for me, it was never like, okay, that is the means, the means of what I'm going to be doing. You know, it's like, I, I was never like, oh, I want to be in the MB, WNBA. Like I want to play college D1 basketball. Like it was never, for me, it was like, I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to be a leader. I want to be someone of power, you know, or someone of, of influence. And so, um, you know, it wasn't, honestly, even to this day, like, I love basketball, but it's really not all who I am. I think it's more like one of my favorite quotes from Pat Summit is like, my ministry is teaching these young women how to become young women and basketball is just the means to which I do it, you know? Yeah. And, and obviously not verbatim, but that's like in the essence of her quote is that, you know, like basketball is just the means by which I go and teach these young women how to be leaders, how to be women, how to be, um, you know, entrepreneurs. And so for me, um, I became serious about basketball once I started coaching so when I started coaching, it was just like, okay, hey, I can really get these girls to do really good in school because they won't be able to practice if they don't, you know? And so, yeah. And I feel like there's so much that you can learn from basketball that helps you in your normal life. Yeah, no. And, and it's definitely, you know, for me, 
it's it's been my learning curve in a sense. Like everything that I've learned, I, I've learned through basketball or coaching. And, you know, I tell my players, like, they made me a mom before I was ever a mom, you know, because I was 17 years old coaching a team, having to drive them around, having to make sure they're eating and they're well, mm-hmm. you know. And, and so once I became a mom, I was like, oh, I've been doing this, you know, five years already. You know, so <laughs> it became it's, – it's just been a blessing. Like, for me, the whole leadership aspect of basketball, the ministry of it – the fact that it's a universal language, you can go anywhere in the world and people will know what a basketball is. And yeah, you know, and so that is the beauty of it. And, you know, pretty much to answer your question, it's like, yeah, once I became a coach and I saw the power that this sport has and the impact it can have, mm-hmm. um, you know, then it w- it's something that like, okay, I can do this. Yeah. And so how did you end up coaching basketball in the first place? Um, well, when I moved back, I, I was supposed to go, I went to college for an academic scholarship. And then, um, I tried to, I, I ended up walking onto the team. I got on the team, but before season started, I decided I wanted to get a a new car and, and ended up getting a job. And so starting adulting and then, uh, they raised tuition at the school where I was at and, um, you know, I was like, okay, I can't do this. So I moved back. I moved back to San Diego and I ended up going to um, San Diego State. And so I went to San Diego State. And then from there, when I when my high school coach heard that I was back, he was like, hey, do you want to coach? You know, mm-hmm. he was like, do you want to coach my middle school team? And I was like, yeah, sure. So I ended up coaching and like I fell in love with coaching. Like I just loved it. I loved being able to teach discipline, like, you know, and I loved it. And mm-hmm. at the same time, they were teaching me so much, you know. And so, um, yeah, so I ended up coaching middle school and then I got promoted to like a JV position, JV head coach, JV position okay. as a 19, 20 year old. And wow. I was an assistant coach. And so were you still studying at San Diego state as you yeah, were coaching? So, mm-hmm. so I graduated from San Diego state in 2009 and I started coaching in 2004 so yeah, the five years that I was I was at San Diego State, yeah, I graduated San Diego State in two thousand nine, and then I graduated from my master's in twenty thirteen. And so the whole time that I'm coaching, I'm also going to school. Wow! And so what were you studying at San Diego State? Um, I I went in as a business major, and then I couldn't. I hated like financial accounting, and so they asked me if uh, if you know, if I didn't pass financial accounting that I either had to go do a business because San Diego State's business program is very like strenuous. Mm -hmm. And so they were like, well, you have to pass this class or you have to either switch your major or go to a different school to be a business major. Wow. And so, you know, I was like, well, what class have I enjoyed? Like what classes have I enjoyed? And at the time I was taking a bunch of sociology classes because like, I just loved the classes. (laughs) And so I was like, you know what, let me just, um, commit to being a sociology major and I'll get my bachelor's in sociology. And so again, like we were talking earlier, you know, in retrospect, everything that happened happens for a reason because sociology was even a more applicable uh, field for me and what I ended up doing. So I was able to learn how to speak to people in groups, how to, you know, how to teach people how not to be deviant. So I learned like these courses at San Diego State in the sociology department were amazing. And so I was able to learn a lot about how to work in groups and how to work in leadership. You know, we studied uh, Che Guevara, we studied Hitler, we studied like, you know, just a bunch of leaders. And so for me, it was like, okay, this is great. Like how you can sway people to do either good or bad, you know? Yeah wanted to become someone of influence and so um yeah I ended up being a sociology major and then when I got to my master's um I got my master's in education and I got a teaching credential because I thought I was going to be teaching at the high school level and you know that I ended up getting a uh, volunteer position at at a junior college and so once I got into the junior college level I was like oh I like this you know I enjoy this and so um, ended up getting, I volunteered for one year and then the following year I got my first paid uh, JUCO assistant job and then it just kind of went from there and um, 
you know, I had a coach that would recruit all my players from the junior college level. And he would tell me like, you know, whenever I leave this school, like I'm going to tell them to, to look into you becoming the next head coach. Wow. Yeah. And again, like I thought it was something that he was just saying just to say it, but sure enough, once he got a job, um, he's actually now the head coach at the university of Laverne. And so he, um, he was the first person like that really gave me an opportunity to get a head coaching job. And it was at a four year university at the NCCAA that, um, you know, I was nominated for a coach of the year. Wow! And it was just, it really comes down to the relationships you build, you know, the people that you know, and um, how your hard work, you know, speaks for itself. And so he saw me like literally grind as a junior college assistant. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, later on, it was like, okay, you deserve this job. And so wow. he, he, he's the one that propelled me into the college coaching ranks. And so I was at the college coaching level for three years as a head coach. And then last year I was an assistant coach at a school in San Antonio, Texas. And so you coached like almost all levels. And so what was your favorite age range to be coaching? Yeah, I tell people all the time, I'm like, I did it the grassroots way. Like, you know, because (laughs) now a lot of people want to skip, you know, different, which is good. You know, if they can skip levels, why not? You know, if you can bypass having to coach high school and then just go be a GA, then, Hey, why not? You know, but um, I literally did it the grassroots way because I don't have any college coaching experience. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, so I felt like I had to really vouch for myself. And so I coached, you know, middle school, high school, JV, varsity, junior college and college. And, um, you know, I've coached against D ones. I've coached against D twos, D threes. But honestly, my favorite level of coaching would have to be the junior college level. Yeah. Because, um, you know, you get them right out of high school and then you you help mold them into young women and they get to determine like what career path they want to take. You know, because a lot of girls go into junior colleges undecided or they don't know what they want to do. And they're just trying to like not spend money on tuition, taking random classes. And so at the junior college level, you kind of get to mold them and find their help them find their purpose and their calling. And then when they get to college to get to the four year, they've kind of already decided what they've they're going to do once they graduate and things like that. And so for me, if I were to have the opportunity to pick any level, you know, of coaching, I would for sure do the the junior college level. I would I would coach at the junior college level. Wow. And so are you still coaching? No. So right now, um, you know, I had been praying on it and I was trying to figure out if, if I should coach. And I did interview for a few job offers like during quarantine. Mm-hmm. And it was just one of those, th- like a few coaching jobs. And I was just like, okay, if it's meant to be, it'll happen. If not, like, and it was actually the first time, kid you not, the first time in like six years that I was interviewing and I didn't feel like a sense of like pressure to want to do really well because I wanted that job or I needed that job. You know, mm-hmm. it was literally like I would interview and I'd go into the interview. Like I'm the catch. I don't need this job. <laughs> that's you know? good. That, I feel like that's everyone goes in so nervous and they end up messing things up. Yeah. Yeah. And it really made me feel like, okay, I don't, if I do get this job, cool. And it really, I, I've really reached the point in my life and I wish I would have reached it a lot sooner. So I tell the players that I mentor all the time, like get to this level as soon as you can, where you really just let go of expectations. You really let go of what you think things are supposed to be like, and that you just, um, take every opportunity that you get, obviously every opportunity you get, if you get an interview, take it, you know, interview, whatever. Mm-hmm. But once you do your best and, and all that you can do, all you can do is show up to the interview and do your best. Yeah. From there, it's really not up to you. You know, it's really mm-hmm. in, in God's hands and it's really in, in the decision of other people. And so I would walk into interviews and I'm just like, okay, I got to do well because I really need this job and I'm unemployed, you know, yeah all the negative things just yeah yeah and i would do really really well and then when i didn't get the job i would be so disappointed and so and i was like i can't keep doing that to myself you know i can't giving myself these expectations like oh i did really well they're gonna call me back and then they don't you know and so um yeah this last few months when i've interviewed for a few positions 
you know, in the back of my head, I'm like, well, I have Hooper mentality and I have the Washington Wizards. Um, you know, I've actually yeah. picked up a job with the Washington Wizards for the junior NBA. And, you know, and it's one of those things where it's like, oh, well, if I get a head coaching job, cool. If not, it's not, it's no problem because I'm still going to be around basketball. I'm still going to be impactful. I'm still going to be able to be in a leadership position, you know? And mm-hmm. so I really had to come to terms with the idea that basketball coaching is what I do. It's not solely who I am. And so, you know, it really, it's, it really dawned on me where it's like, okay, what do you love about coaching? Oh, well, I love leadership. I love mentoring out of this. Okay. What can you do? Even if you don't coach, like what can you do to still fulfill those, those desires of a leader? and, And so then that's how, you know, I started my nonprofit and it really just took off because I'm like, oh, well, everything that I want to do, I can literally do it through my nonprofit, you know, and I don't have an athletic director telling me, you know, what I can and can't do, you know, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because like even right now, like I like basketball, but it's like, I don't know if this is something that I'm going to love for the rest of my life, but there are certain things that I like about it. And I know that like, even if I don't end up playing college basketball, I'm still going to keep it in my life somewhere, right? Whether right. that's maybe coaching youth or playing at the gym league or something just to keep my foot in the game. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, and you have to realize, like, okay, what do you really love about it, mm-hmm. you know? And like I told you, like, I, it, I never hit a switch where it was like, oh, this is, I love basketball. And it's like, I do. I love the sport. I love how universal it is. I love how w- we can cross borders and speak the same language, even though you actually don't. Like, basketball is a universal language. So I love the game, too. I watch it. I read it, everything. You know? But... At the end of the day, the title of a coach, I had like this infatuation with a head coaching title, you know, and I think and I think it's one of those things where when you get into the coaching ranks, you're told like, unless you're a head coach, like, you know, you really don't have any pull. But then I started thinking like, well, okay, what are ways that I can still be impactful and not really have to sabotage my dignity for a head, coach, a head coaching title, you know? Right. And so here I am, founder of this nonprofit, and I'm working with hundreds of head coaches, and I have support from hundreds of head coaches that, you know, will vouch for me. And at the end of the day, like, I literally have more leeway, more leeway and more say now that I'm just the founder of this foundation over being a head coach you know yeah like I went from being the competition to being the support system you know and so I love being that that I would rather not be tied to oh well she's the head coach at this school so we can't buy her gear because she is affiliated with this school you know yeah and so I think that's why I was like I think that's why God kind of took me out of that situation because I'm like, okay, people are not wanting to support my nonprofit because of the school that I'm affiliated with, or they're not wanting to purchase gear because I work at this school and it's in the same conference as them. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and now I have people, I have like four coaches from the conference that I was coaching at as an assistant, all bought hoodies, (laughs) you know, they all bought hoodies. You know, and had I been the assistant at the school still, I don't think they would have. You know, they might have, but I don't I don't know how much of of it they would have done, you know. And so yeah. <laughs> yeah, so tell us more about the Hooper mentality and how did you come up with it? So Hooper mentality for me, it, it started as at first it was just an idea. Um I had in the sixteen years that I've been coaching I've had four players commit suicide. Oh, my gosh. And it's just been, you know, for me, it felt like, okay, I should have done more. I could have done more. And so when the last one, um, you know, I went to her funeral and I spoke to her mom and I just kept apologizing. And I was just like, I wish I could have done more. And she told me, you know, you can't bring her back. You can't. So what are ways that you can help change so that this doesn't happen again? And I was like, you're right. You know, and at the time. I didn't have any idea of how I was going to help and how I was going to change things. And, uh, you know, I was just like, it was just something in the back of my head. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, one in 2018 is spring of 2018. Uh, Nike was hosting this women's women in the game conference and it was an all female conference and they had women from all walks of life in the sports field. And so you had people that worked in ticketing, 
you had the Sparks manager or yeah, manager at the time was a female. And so you had the coach, you know, coaches from different levels and you had people from the junior NBA and you had people from behind the scenes. And so it, you know, it introduced uh, people and young women to the idea that just because you don't want to leave basketball, doesn't mean that coaching is the only route. Like you could be an official, you could be, you know, so they had all these people talking at this conference and one of my former players had just graduated from the university and she was at a crossroads as to what she was going to do after graduating. And so I'm like, Hey, JP, come with me to this conference and you know, we'll see what, what we get out of it. And so we go to the conference and we're listening to everybody talk. And so the the conversation about mental health gets brought up. Actually, mental toughness gets brought up in in the conference. And so they asked Coach Corey Close, like, hey, what do you do to promote mental toughness? And she's like, well, we actually have a mental health therapist on staff that helps out with the sports, you know, and they come in and they talk to our sports teams and they promote mental health and they deal, you know, kind of like sports psychologists. Yeah. And so I turn over to JP and I'm like, imagine if we could offer that, but at the middle school levels when they're really going through some stuff and through some stuff. Yeah. That's a huge thing about mental health. I feel like, and I was like, I told you about, like I entered a speech contest and like, I didn't, I didn't end up winning, but I think that it was for the best because there was a speech about mental health and it really kind of opened my eyes on how, how, like if your back hurts, right, you go to the doctor, but if something's wrong mentally, people are, like ashamed to like get help. And I, and it spirals out of control. And like, I've heard so many stories, even like with basketball, right? Like I showed you that one lady that, you know, she like missed a whole season of her WNBA career because she had mental health problems that she couldn't take care of. Yeah. And she let it get so bad. Yeah, because, I mean, they're both as important. I think, honestly, mental health is even more important because your body, your brain, like, really functions and can, like, a lot of these would be, like, you know, self-inflicted at some point. But what, for me, you hit a great point in that regard is that if you have a player come and tell you, like, Coach, I'm depressed today like I could barely get out of bed like I don't want to go to practice like I, I I don't feel well like I'm depressed you know I'm suicidal whatever like to them it'd be like oh shake it off just get to practice yeah exactly that's a lot of coaches are yeah and then and then if if you had you know someone that hey I sprained my ankle and it's a little tender I can kind of walk on it but it's a little tender and they'd be like oh, okay sit out yeah, that's true. Yeah, and so I think we need to destigmatize the fact that, you know, we can't just brush off mental health issues. You yes. know, that's something where it's like, you know, as a coach, I feel it's our duty to, if a player comes to us and they're like, you know, I'm depressed, um, make time to sit down and talk to them. You know, and I've worked under coaches that are like, hey, you know, go talk to a therapist or go see the school counselor. And a lot of these kids don't want to go see the school counselor. Like they really just want somebody to listen and talk to them, you know? Yeah. And so a lot of coaches are are now being pressured to be able to sit down and and make time to do, you know, these mental I totally agree with that. If you want to get the most out of your athletes on court, you have to make sure you're taking care of those things off court. Just in the last dance, um, Coach Phil Jackson and Michael Jordan were talking about they had to do some stuff for Dennis Rodman off the court to make sure that he performed his best on court. Yeah, yeah. No, I definitely agree. I definitely agree. And it's like we don't we don't put the same emphasis on mental health. No, we don't. And it's it's so important. Yeah, it is. It is. And it's it's just we just got to take get rid of that stigma. You know, we got to get rid of that stigma of, you know, it's just oh, you're, you'll get over it. It's just momentary. You know, it, yeah, in a bad mood. Oh, you're probably on your period or you're just emotional. It's just these things that we tend to shrug off. And the next, you know, someone's overdosed or slit their wrist, you know, and so, yeah. Yeah, so it's, you know, it's a process, but I think now because it's becoming so much more normal to talk about mental health, um, it'll become, you know, it'll become less of a, of a uh, taboo subject. Yes, 
Yeah, and especially because of people like you. I've texted you throughout quarantine. Like, you know, like we were talking about, like quarantine really brings out the worst of some people, especially in mental health. And I've I've witnessed a lot of them firsthand. And so I feel so grateful to just know you and know like what you're doing for our community. Thank you. Yeah, no. And, and the thing with quarantine is like you have to understand there's people that, you know, their coping skill is to go to basketball practice. Or exactly. Or to, to spin class or to go do a yoga class or to go out to get boba with your friends. <laughs> so then all of a sudden, every single coping skill you can imagine is gone, taken away. And some people aren't very comfortable with their solitude. They're not comfortable with their own thoughts, not comfortable with their own presence. And so then now we're having to become comfortable with a person that we might not even know like i don't even know who you know like i have friends that are like yeah quarantine made me realize who i am because i had to really self-reflect and i really had to evaluate who i am as a parent who i am as a woman who i am as a sister a wife whatever and so quarantine really brought out like you said the good and the bad in people because you know there's some kids that are living in abusive households you know and so now they can't get out because they're in quarantine yeah. and they're living under you know abusive parents or whatever or you have people that are recovering alcoholics and then now quarantine like the only thing you can do you know to feel better in their mind is drink alcohol you know and so it's just like it, it's just it's literally you know, one of my players and I, we always say, what a time to be alive because we're learning so much about ourselves. Mm-hmm. And like for me, my biggest takeaway from quarantine is that like I was a workaholic. Like I was a workaholic. Like I had no work-life balance. Like I was always on the go. And at the end of the day, like I had nothing to show for it. You know, like I had nothing to show for it. You know, I was still living paycheck to paycheck because I'm coaching for minimum you know, salary and all this. And it made me realize like, wow, okay, now with quarantine, I'm unemployed. Technically, you know, I'm unemployed. Mm -hmm. And so now I'm having to sit at home and really be a mom. Yeah, really be and really focus on my family and really focus on my health and my mental health. And so like I picked up yoga and, you know, things like that. So I feel like I like that aspect of quarantine where that just like more time to just focus on yourself. Yeah, no. And, and it made me realize like I can get a lot more done if I'm productive and I just sit down and be productive instead of, instead of trying to do too much at once, you know, yes. so I trying to do so much and it just wasn't like, I wasn't feeling productive, you know, and I was still getting a lot done but it wasn't substance, you know, yeah. there wasn't any substance in it. And so um, now, like, I have a lot more time, more free time, but I'm more productive yeah. because there's more substance to what I'm doing. And so, yeah, so with Hooper Mentality, like, they kind of, it's been planted since 2018. Uh, we did basketball camps in Mexico last summer. So that was, like, our first initiative. We went to Mexico and we ran a basketball camp in Mexico uh, for a weekend. And, you know, that was great. And so what we do is, like, we incorporate mental skills training within our mm-hmm. camps. And so we have basketball camps, but we practice mindfulness during the camps. Or we'll do journaling or we'll, you know, emphasize leadership skills. So we're talking about leadership skills. And, you know, so we try to incorporate all of that into basketball where a lot of programs you go to a lot of camps they want to be so you know on the clock like okay here's the agenda. yeah basketball 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 yeah, here's the agenda, basketball dribbling shooting <laughs> and then it's like okay at what time do we get to check in with the kids and ask them like hey are you enjoying yourself are you having fun you know and so we try to really slow it down and we do station work so we'll do like station work but then we get to talk to them in between and we have time to actually decompress afterwards And so it was just a great experience. Yeah, I mean, one thing I love when I found out about Hooper Mentality is how you kind of incorporate mental health with basketball because basketball is kind of that stress-relieving thing for me. And so it was really cool to see you combine those two. Yeah, it is. I love it because it's therapeutic for me too, you know? Yeah. You you know, you hear like, oh, the things that you're 
complaining about other people are praying for. And so it really puts it into perspective because I've had camps where I have girls tell me like they've been molested oh or they're you know sexual assault survivors. And, you know, we have kids that are foster kids and they've been bouncing around from foster home to foster home. And the great thing about our camps is that you know, it's the good thing and the bad thing because our camps don't normally um, impress like the really high profile players. Mm-hmm. So we don't really get like really high profile players at our camps um, because they're free. So they're open to everybody in all levels. And so as a parent, like if it's a free basketball camp and my kid has never played basketball, I'm going to take them to a free camp yeah. because I'm losing money from it, you know? Mm-hmm. And so you have the high profile kids that are used to being there and being super competitive and whatnot. And so we get, sometimes we get some high profile kids and what we try to do is we try to develop their leadership skills. So we will purposely put them on like a not very, not very good team Mm -hmm. or we'll purposely put them in a position where they have to do the speaking. You know, we try to develop point guards by you talk more, you communicate more on the court And so we'll have some high-profile players that walk out of there, granted not having gained too much more skill set because they're so advanced, but we try to develop the leadership skills. We try to develop the the motivational aspect, the mental aspect of it too. Yes, I definitely agree with you. I think not that many basketball camps really put an emphasis on leadership and that mental game, but I think that it's so important that they do, and I love your approach to that. Yeah, no, and we're, and we're loving it. And like we were talking about, you know, the hoodies and the online store, um, that kind of came out of by accident, but I'm really loving it because it's creating dialogue, you know? So I have like, I'll be at the post office and people were like, oh, what is Hooper mentality? And then I have these conversations. So like this, this couple days ago, well, yesterday we just got back from Vegas. So with the, some of the proceeds that we got from the hoodie sales, we drove out to Vegas and we gave out water at the voting polls. Wow. And so we gave out water at the voting polls and we were talking to people and we were trying to keep them from getting discouraged to vote because it's so hot and the lines were like super long. So we're talking to people and, you know, we're asking like old ladies, like if they would like for us to take their spot in line while they go sit in the shade or whatever. Right. And so, um, we're talking to people and we're just telling them about, you know, and they're like, Oh, what's Hooper mentality. And so we end up having like these full on conversations with random strangers at the voting poll about mental health. Right. And then after we we had our hotel room sponsored by um, I have a friend that's a healthcare worker, and so she ended up sponsoring us a room at the Encore in, in Vegas. Oh wow! And so yeah, so we didn't have to pay for the hotel or use any of our proceeds for the hotel, and so we go to the pool because my son's with me, so we take him to the pool, and I'm sitting at the pool and I'm wearing my Hooper mentality shirt, and so is my coach. And this lady was like, oh, so what's Hooper mentality? You know, and so he, I'm like, here we go again. You know, and, so, <laughs> and she tells me her son is a former NFL player. Wow. That went into depression because he kept getting traded. Mm-hmm. And so we're talking. So she's crying and then I'm crying. Aww. And so it's just, you know, so it's just awesome how like a logo and a logo and t-shirt or a logo and a hoodie can like really spark these conversations that are so needed. And she was, she was like 58, 60, somewhere around there. And she's like, Patty, like, I've never had like a really a genuine conversation like this with even any, some of my relatives, you know? And she was like, and it was so needed. Like I needed it. Like I didn't realize how much I had been carrying for so many years. And she was like, you know, and I'm like, well, that's kind of what therapy would be like. Like you just go and just, you know, talk to someone. And so, um, yeah, so we're just trying to help out and try to get rid of the stigma of, you know, therapy and how it's only for rich people or, you know, it's not right for Hispanic and black people. Like you're supposed to just shake it off. Yeah. Or minorities, not just Hispanic and black people, but I mean, I have friends that are, you know, Ethiopian or that are Middle Eastern. And it's just like the different, the upbringing has a lot to do with it. Yeah. And like, I'm South Asian, right? And so there was a new TV show that came out with the female South Asian lead. And they talked about like how that show kind of not only talked about that, but they also had a huge look at mental health. And that's what a lot of South Asian communities don't give too much respect to, but it's 
Yeah. Yeah. No, and and it's in I love that you're starting, you know, that people are starting to see it. Like you literally see it all over social media. You see it all over, you know, Netflix, like everything. Like it's it's all over the place, you know, and so we're having to um we're having to um you know, have these conversations, which is great because it's something that we wouldn't have before. Like I had, when I first started my nonprofit, you know, I went to my mom and I was like, Hey mom, you know, I'm going to start this nonprofit. It's about mental health and about depression. And she's like, yeah. She was like, you know, and my, I, that day, mind you, this was two years ago. That's the first time I find out that my mom has been on antidepressants for three years. Oh my God. And I'm like, why didn't you tell me, you know? And she was like, well, it's just never a conversation. Like, how do you bring it up? You know, and I'm just like, and I felt so bad because I'm like, dude, like you could have told me, you know, we would have yeah. been help. And, and then I started to realize like, okay, this time when she wouldn't get out of bed certain days and she would just say her head hurts, it was really like a, you know, a flare, like a depression flare in a sense. It really brings things into perspective and the fact that you were able to have these conversations, you know, that we normally wouldn't have. And so, yeah, I'm just blessed to be a part of it. Honestly, like, People are like, oh, you're doing such great things with Hooper Mentality. And I'm like, honestly, I don't even do, I'm just the platform. You know, I'm just the platform. And everybody, like, even with these therapy sessions that we're launching tonight, we're launching a, a therapy group therapy sessions. And so we have black male and female um, therapists and psychologists and psychiatrics. Um, you know, we have them come in and they're going to give talks. And so, I'm literally like, I can't wait to just sit and listen to these conversations. You know, I'm not even mm -hmm. going to be the host. Like, I'm just behind the scenes. Like, I'm out recruiting therapists and things like that. But my friend, um, who's a mental health advocate and uh, a sexual assault survivor, she's going to be the moderator. And, you know, she's black and she grew up in San Diego and the therapist is from San Diego. And so, you know, we were able to have these conversations. And so for me, I'm just blessed to be able to be a platform where people can say, hey, I have an idea on how we can help minimize the stigma of mental health and how, you know, are you are you down for this? And I'm like, yeah, you know, like even the hoodies, like I mentioned earlier, like I, just, I ended up making a T-shirt in my sister's garage and then I had a lot of people want to order it. And so that's how I ended up launching an online store because it was never something that like, oh, I want to have an online store. It was just, like, you know, I just came up. Yeah. So you coach, you've been coaching women's basketball for such a long time and you've done lots of stuff with that. But what do you think needs to be done to gain more respect for women's basketball? Honestly, it's just having people that vouch for us in leadership positions. So we need more athletic directors, we need more female school presidents. We need more female, um, just females. Like we just need more women in power in athletic departments and not just coaches because you could have a female head coach and then you have a male athletic director. And then as soon as the female head coach does one thing wrong, they're letting her go and they're hiring a, a you know, a male. Yeah. And so, um, and I've been in that position, you know, I've been in that position where, you know, I one slight mistake and it's like, oh, you're gone and I'm being replaced by a Caucasian male. And so it's like, oh, promote minorities in, in coaching. But then as soon as, you know, one does something wrong, like you're replacing them with, a, a, you know, a white male. And so it's like we need more representation. And so um, having women, I love honestly like it. And, and like I told you earlier, like our motto right now with my friends and my coaches from Hooper Mentality like we every day we're like, what a time to be alive. What a time to be alive. You know, because it's like you feel the shift. Like you can literally feel the shift. You feel the shift. I mean, Diana Taurasi is probably going to be a GM for, you know, a, a, a NBA team or a WNBA team. Um, Sue Bird is going to be, you know, a, a coach of a men's team. Like you just yeah. like you just see the shift, you know, and so and you feel it and you're watching it happen. And so for me, it's like, okay, what a time to be alive. What can I do on my behalf? And honestly, I want to either be a, an athletic director so that I can hire people that look like us, you know, and, and, and support them, not just hire them, but actually support them and be like, okay, I have your back, you know, because there's people that hire them, you know, they get hired, but it's, they don't have full support. And so they're walking yeah. eggshells in their athletic department, you know, instead of instead of being supported. And so 
Yeah, so for me, um, I think that's one of the things that, that's going to really shift women's basketball is getting people in leadership positions. And so, you know, having a, a – now we have, what, nine, w, uh, nine NBA female coaches, assistant coaches. Yeah, and I think it's so cool to have that representation. And, you know, when you're watching NBA games, to see those powerful females coaching from the sidelines, it really shows how far we've come. Yeah, no, and it's gonna be it's gonna be awesome. Yes, for sure. And lastly, what advice do you have for listeners that are looking to pursue basketball? Um, I would honestly say, and and this is one of one of the best advice that I got. We we talked about it earlier, but one of the the best advice I've ever gotten is don't attach yourself to any school administration uh, team. Uh, anything, anything, don't attach yourself to any organization, attach yourself to a purpose. And when you attach yourself to a purpose, the opportunities will come, will come. So for me, I feel like now looking back, my purpose was to really help develop young women through basketball. And so literally every position that I've gotten has been because I have people I know, people that have vouched for me, people that have seen my work ethic. And so my biggest my best advice to anyone coming up that wants to be a coach or be in the in the athletic administration is don't attach yourself to a school, a team, a organization. Attach yourself to a purpose because this business is very cutthroat. Yeah. So the higher, the higher up you go, the more cutthroat it becomes, and you have to learn how not to take things personal. So. If you're attached to a purpose and you get fired from somewhere, your mental shift is going to be, it's not going to be like, oh, this school sucks. They fired me. It's going to be, okay, my time here is done. My assignment here is done. God has something better for me planned because of my purpose. This position is no longer serving my purpose. So God is getting me out of this situation. And I can look back and tell you that, Every place that I've either been replaced at, fired from, whatever it might be, I'm glad that I did mm-hmm. because it's literally gotten me to the point that I am now. And now I'm fulfilling a purpose. And if someone were to ask me to coach for their program, it would have to really align with my purpose. Otherwise, I wouldn't take it, you know, because I'm attached to my purpose. It's not, I'm no longer infatuated by the head coaching title. I'm no longer infatuated by wanting to have a 30-win season. I'm no longer attached to wanting to get Coach of the Year award. I'm no longer attached to getting conference awards or whatever. You know, I'm attached to a purpose. And if you're attached to a purpose, even when you have a 5-22 and 22 season or even when you have a 30-2 and two season, you still feel as fulfilled because you know that you – served your purpose you know and so for me like I've been at both ends like last year we were 28 and 5 you know and my first my second year as a head coach we were 6 and 29 or something like that you know and I can tell you I had more fulfillment at the school where we were 6 and 25 than at the one where we were 28 and 5 because you know it was just my purpose was to develop these women while we were losing building mental fortitude, building like resiliency. Cause when you lose, you really learn a lot. Yeah, from, that's true. You know? Yeah. And so it's literally, that would be my advice to anyone that wants to pursue a career in sports is one, learn how not to take things personal because it is a business at the end of the day, it's a business. So to them, especially some organizations, you're a staff member you know, so at the end of the day, and then you can be replaced. And then secondly, don't attach yourself to an institution, a team, a, a logo, whatever, like attach yourself to a purpose. And so by doing that, I think you're going to save yourself a lot of heartbreak because that's something that I wish someone would have told me because I've had friends that were coaches that turned on me for a head coaching title or that, you know, like I, the way I had to, I had to learn how not to take things personal and that it's a business is through experience. i never had anyone tell me like, Hey, don't, um, take things personal. No one ever told me that I learned that the hard way. And for me, the way that I learned was 
I've had friends or people whom I call as friends sabotage our friendship for their advancement. Oh my you gosh. Know? And so for me, yeah, and it, I was like oh so God. hurt. You know, I was like, I'm going to block them from Facebook and Instagram. <laughs> you know, I was yeah. so hurt. And then at the end of the day, I said, you know what? At the end of the day, it's a business. I said, that person's morals don't align with my morals because I would never do that regardless of how good the opportunity is. You know, like, it's, just, it's not in me, but you have to realize not everybody is like you. You know, not everybody has the same heart as you. And so um, the more you learn to detach yourself from it, as far as, like, don't take things personal and don't attach yourself to an organization, but attach yourself to a purpose, the more you learn to do that, the more fulfillment you'll get from being in, in basketball as, as you get older. And so, I mean, it's kind of like on a team, you know, if someone takes your starting spot, you can't take it personal. Like, Oh, she took it because she hates me. No, she took it because she outworked you, you know, or, or she took it because she really wants that starting spot and she's going to do it by any means necessary, you know, and some people get the way, get their way the right way. And some people get, get their way by burning bridges, you know? And so, it's just, yeah, the more you learn that and the more you can understand that, I think the less heartbreak you'll have in this cutthroat business of, of college basketball. Yeah, and I love that you kind of looked at it as a purpose because, like, as even with me, it's like I don't really know what I want to do. And everyone's always like, you need to have a goal. You need to have, like, a goal that you want to achieve. But it's like I don't know what that is yet. And I, I love the way that you looked at it. And that's yeah, very nice, no. very well put. And you're doing an amazing job. I mean, I wish I had the courage and the confidence to reach out to coaches and be like, hey, I want to interview you in a podcast. Like, thank you. I, I'm amazed by my son's confidence. You know, he's 11 years old and he has a YouTube channel. Wow. He has a YouTube channel and he's just like, hey, guys. And it could be like two viewers. <laughs> and he's still just as, you know, excited about it. Or it could be 100 viewers and he's just as excited. And so. I wish that's one thing for me. It's like another motto, like another motto of my own is that be, be for others what you wish you would have had when you were growing up. So I yeah. try to be for others what I didn't have. So I didn't have a mentor like, you know, my dad was the person I looked up to. But aside from that, I didn't really have mentors. And so I try to be for others what I wish I would have had, you know, and so um yeah, no, you're doing an amazing job. Like Thank I'm, you. I'm impressed. You know, I, I'm so impressed by our youth. I mean, even the, the protests that I've gone to, like out of mm -hmm. the three protests that I've gone to, two of the three were, uh, um, were arranged and, and set up by high school teenagers, you know, yeah. and women, you know, and so the, it was just awesome. Yeah, it was awesome. Yes, that is happening, and I've seen that a lot. I just want to say thank you so much for being on today. I really enjoyed this conversation with you. No, thank you for having me. I love it. I love I, I love talking. I could talk for hours. <laughs> Same. <laughs> and that's the end of the podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. I know I sure did, and I will see you guys next time.